And welcome to the Healthy Dog Pod, episode two. We have myself, Ian from Bondi Behaviorist, and Sophie from So Help Me Dog. Hey, yeah. And today is just us two in the studio. And we are going to be spending today's episode talking about something that we both are really familiar with because we work with dog behavior a lot. Um, and it's something that we know impacts the way we perceive dogs' behavior uh, on a great le- on, on so many levels. Um, and it is what's called theory of mind. Yeah. Now, theory of mind in a nutshell is something that I've been looking into for a long, long time. It is the ability to perceive others' emotions. So put yourself in another's shoes and understand their emotions. Um, and dogs can't do that. Yeah. And I think once you listen to this episode and you understand everything that we're about to speak about, I think you'll go... Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Because okay. that's exactly what I did. Ian's studied this a lot more than I have. And when he explained this to me, it totally changed the way that I look at behavior and I train dogs because it impacts a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I first heard about this about um, only three or four years ago, you know, and I've been working with dogs a long, long time until then. Um, and t- I'm still learning about it. But the amount that it impacts is it just gets deeper and deeper because, you know, this what we've learned, what we know now based on science-based evidence is that dogs have the cognitive thinking ability of an eighteen, a year old to an eighteen-month-old child. Wow. Um, and if we think about put it in that perspective, you know, they don't ever try to um, influence anybody else's emotions. You know, they they st- they feel basic emotions. They feel happiness and joy and fear and excitement, and they you know they feel sadness. Um, but complex emotions, um, kind of, they're not capable. Their cognitive abilities, they're not able to feel that. Um, you know, th- um, things like spitefulness and vindictiveness and stubbornness. How many times do you hear that? My dog is being stubborn or my dog is being spiteful. That's right. I think um, I get that a lot, especially in the weekend. I had a consult and her dog was urinating when she left the house. But when she was home, it would take itself to the toilet and, you know, be totally fine. And she goes, it's being spiteful. And I said, no, I think your dog's a little bit stressed. I also had a bit of separation anxiety as well. Well, yeah, really yeah. common stress-based behavior, yeah. urinating and separation causes stress. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, I think there's a big difference between, we, we, we want to state categorically that dogs feel emotions, yeah. but and not having theory of mind is not that your dog is not an emotional being or anything like that. Um, your dog, you know, can love you and all of these things. Um, but it doesn't ever try to influence your emotions. Yeah. And that, that's a really important thing to recognize. Um, there was an experiment done, and I love this little, I'll try and paint a picture for you. So a lady sat in a room, a, a neutral room, just in a chair, 
and she's got her head in her hands, crying. Dog A gets put in the room and approaches, and the lady goes, Oh, thanks, I needed some affection today and some warmth, and pats the dog. The dog learns by consequences that if I come near this lady doing this body language and this noise and in this scenario, I get pat. Take the dog out of the equation, bring dog B in. Same lady, same room, same chair, same body language, still crying. Dog B comes over and she goes, go away. I just need some space and reprimands the dog and sends it away. Dog B learns but approaching this lady in that body language and this context means negative consequences for me. Reintroduce Dog A and Dog A will come over. Dog A gets, I seize the, seize the familiar body language, sees the same lady in that chair, sees, sees all these things and goes, I'm, I've been here before, I understand this, I'm going to go and get positive consequences for me. Dog B comes into the room, sees the same things, sees the same circumstances, and avoids negative consequences for me. The dog is learning based on prior, private, uh, prior experience, that body language, that, uh, that look, that noise, this room, that lady, that chair, how it influences them. And they base their behavior based on how it influences them. In both circumstances, the lady can say, the dog knew I was sad. Yeah. Because it's how she perceived it in that moment. The dog is always, every single dog, is only ever trying to achieve positive consequences for them and avoid negative ones. It is no more, there are no gray areas. That's the best part of this part, This knowing this. It's a little bit sad because we know that our dogs now don't, uh, necessarily aren't in tune with us as much as we'd had hoped yeah and they're self-serving no that's the thing i know people hate that and when i tell them uh yeah your dog's just trying to please themselves sorry yeah (laughs) it's um but it can be quite liberating when you actually accept it and understand yeah Yeah. because dog training becomes super easy Mm -hmm. and uh all of a sudden this is why positive reinforcement must be the way we train our dogs, never through guilt and never through fear or reprimand because while you can set disagree, you must teach um, what you would prefer them to do instead. But uh, what the dog is looking at is your body language, how you interact with it, and same with other dogs. I'm using humans as an example here, but um, say another dog interacts with it that way um, and the dog, the dog that's getting communicated with is receiving that information is learning by consequences and it's just trying to trying to make itself feel better it's trying to avoid conflict and it's trying to achieve something positive um it's it's not it's it's beautifully simple and we managed to fuck it up and overcomplicate it <laughs> i think one of the big ones like you said like that that example you just threw in there with um you know if somebody will come in the house after the dog has peed on the floor and they will look at their dog and go, you, you know what you did wrong. Yeah. And what the dog is learning is, you coming home is scary. Your body language when you make eye contact with me in that way, you putting a lot of emphasis on me and you're speaking to me in a foreign language. I'm now scared of you. And I, um, we see the dog um, do facial expressions such as lip licking, avoidance. 
all the things that as a human we'd attribute to guilt yeah and 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 sheepishness and the dog and we then jump to these big conclusions that our dog knows that it shouldn't have peed on the floor what it's learning is that your body language is is pretty scary and what your dog is trying to do is basically avoid conflict and um, your dog's brain moves on in half a second. So if it peed at the start of the day, then it doesn't know what you're telling it off for. It's just going, wow, you've come home and you're scary. I'm going to run away and hide because you have to actually catch it in the act if it's peed in the house. You can't just come home and say, you know you shouldn't pee in the house because there's obviously a reason for it. Yeah, and that's it. I mean, unless you catch that dog in the moment within 0.5 seconds of it doing the act you are then not catching it in the act and then causing um fear uh, and confusion i think that's uh one of the problems and this the not understanding theory of mind has affected the language that we use around pet dogs and this is why we're doing this episode so early because in the future episodes we'll refer back to this one please go back and listen to episode two <laughs> it's um it's uh it is it impacts things on so many levels and one of the big things is there's trainers out there trying to train the dog out of respect which is not an emotion that they are capable of um it's not really an emotion it's more a fear if i'm being frank it's fear and we're training because we think our dogs are being stubborn because we think our dogs are being spiteful because we think our dogs are being vindictive brings around a corrective um, frame of mind where we're trying to put things right uh, by correcting them, which is such a shit way of owning a dog. It's creating fear and base the foundation of so many relationships, unfortunately, uh, between pet dogs and their owners is fear-based and correct out of correction. And we get dogs because we want to make ourselves and them happy. And because we don't understand it and because there's been so much misinformation out there through you know popular media tv we're not going to say name names but um it, it, it comes that word discipline gets comes in with dogs a lot and dogs aren't moral that's that's something else that this theory of mine brings in they're not moral creatures they don't know right from wrong but they understand good and bad in terms of consequences so disciplining them is Yeah, I think as a child as well, popular dog trainer TV shows, not naming anyone in particular, (laughs) but that's all we knew and that's all some people know and then they think that's the right way to train Mm. and then you get a stressed out, fearful dog and then that's when we have to come in and try and help them understand a little bit better. Absolutely. I mean, we sit in consultations all the time asking people to um, understand that correcting the problem behavior means that it's already happening. Um, and then if you do step in and say no, which is perfectly okay, you're allowed to disagree. We with, agree with no. Yeah. But we don't do it on a level that causes fear and we don't do it on a level um, where we're trying to manipulate the dog's emotions. Um out of feeling hurt ourselves, you know, um, just because we've applied 
that theory of mine to our dogs. They never did. So we've got to go in there retrospectively and then go, look, your dog's not being spiteful, not being vindictive. Um, and focus on, you know, what we would like them to do instead. Because nobody gets a dog, like I say, for it to go wrong. But we end up preempting and we end up... Co- Rather than teaching what we would like in the first place and setting it up like, all right, I want my dog to go on the bed in the living room rather than the sofa. And every time it goes on the bed, I'm going to praise it. Um, um, I'm going to lure it to the bed often. I'm going to make sure that all its uh, chew toys are on there. Um, instead, we spend the whole time telling it off for getting on the sofa. And it's, yeah. back, it's backwards. It's, it's, it's a silly way of owning a dog, really. I mean, we wouldn't do it to children. And if we did, then we probably shouldn't. Um, but, you know, it's very stressful for the dog. I think you had um, a really good story about the uh, when you were in class and the teacher oh, yes. set you up. Oh, okay. So when I was in class, um, we had a teacher and she said, okay, I want one of you to go out of the room. And I was like, I'll do it. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> And so she sent me out of the room and meanwhile, while I was out there, she um, decided that I had to do something in the room, but she didn't tell me what it was. So I came in the room through the door and every step that I took, she would go, no, no, no. And I was getting so frustrated because I thought, what the hell do you want me to do? And it took me probably about 20 minutes to figure out she wanted me to pull a tissue out of the tissue box. And she said at the end, that's how your dog feels because all you're doing is going, no, 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 no. But you're not actually telling it what you want it to do. You're not actually showing it. She said, how much easier would it be if I showed you what I wanted you to do? And I was like, wow, I never thought of it like that. Yeah. And that's it. I mean, we put that on our dogs all the time. We see people go, they should just know. I mean, yeah. you're a, you're an intelligent adult. Yeah. And, and you can speak too. You can speak English. Yeah. And, <laughs> can communicate. And yet we expected you to be psychic. Yeah. Now you put that, you put that same, and you couldn't do it. I mean, of course you couldn't do it. No. It was, it's impossible. But when we put exactly the same um, expectations on a different species, and bring them into a world that they were never meant to live in, in this busy human world, and go, hey, don't break our rules. I'm not going to tell you what they are, but don't break them. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's pretty harsh. <laughs> yeah. And this is why we don't really condone our corrective measures, because it's not fair on the dog. It's not fair to take them out and correct them. It's, uh, it's not fair on the owner either. I mean, if you, uh, hopefully this reaches enough people, because I... In in what what's widely understood across uh, is that stress has a, such a negative impact on um, everybody's life. I mean, stress is normal in life, but excess stress is prominent in today's society. And we live with our dogs every single day. They're part of our family. They're not meant to be stressed, and we're not meant to be stressed when we're owning them. Um, and I said it earlier, we get dogs to make ourselves happy and to make them happy. And the only way to do it wrong is um, to consistently put ourselves and them in a situation that stresses us and them out. Even on this consult, same consult I went to on the weekend, 
I had three uh, people around and there was two dogs. And when they were chatting to me towards the end of the session, the guy just went, and he goes, this is like a therapy session. I feel so much better. He said, we've been under so much stress and so have the dogs. But now when you've explained it to us, make them feel comfortable, make their world a little bit smaller and help them out. It's, you know, it's helping us and it's helping the dogs as well. And they thought we need to walk the dogs three times a day and all this stuff. But but outside, those dogs are stressing and freaking out. I said, just because in today's society, there's, you know, everyone's saying you need to walk your dogs this much and you need to take them to the park and take them here and take them there. And it made me feel so much better because they felt better and yep. they felt less stressed. And yep. then I feel like the dog is going to feel less stressed as well. That's right. I mean, we get calls because it's not going well. And yeah. we get a lot of calls. Yeah. We, we've got two dog trainers in the same suburb that are constantly busy. We get a lot of calls and it's great but for business, but it's not great for dogs and dog owners. Yeah. You know, dogs build relationships based on trust and trust is earned through communication, mainly listening. If you consistently listen to to me, then I'm going to trust you. Um, and this uh, this perception of modern dog ownership that the dog's got to run a million miles an hour and all of that, and we're going to go into that a lot in the future, but we end up not listening to our dogs enough, and then they communicate how they feel um, based on not having theory of mind means they're only ever projecting how they feel. And if they're overstimulated, they're overstimulated. If they're acting aggressively, it's because they've been affected by stress, uh, fear, stress, or anxiety. Um, and if we don't listen to that, if we reprimand, if we go into these training methods that are corrective-based, um, then we break down the trust between ourselves and a family member. And that, again, it's fundamentally flawed as to why you got the dog in the first place. There's um, dog trainers out there saying that you can fix aggression and offering quick fixes and oh man that that is just torture for the dog it scares me it so set, much it sets dogs up to fail but you can't it sets owners up to fail but you can't say like there's some people out there that say i'm going to fix it in this amount of days like you, you oh yeah good work mate you can fix aggression you can actually guarantee behavior guarantee you can't guarantee your behavior that's the only guarantee you can give mate and yeah it's it's a lack of understanding of psychology behavior and they're wording it in a way this is a bit of a rant but i don't care this is they're wording it in a way that is marketing yeah that is that is what's really really bad is they are reaching out to people that are under stress currently because it's going wrong and saying we can fix your problems you can put a quick fix on it, as in like you can shut a dog's behavior down. And we're going to go into handling problem behaviors in the future. But look, you can, using corrective methods, it means you're taking the dog into a situation it never cons consented to. You're assuming that it's a moral creature, which this is whole episode is about. It's not a moral creature. You're correcting the problem, which is dog abuse, with physical force and pinning it down and check chains. That is, that's, that's a welfare issue. And then you've got, you are not taking responsibility for your own actions. You're the one that took the dog there. Um, a little bit passionate about that one. We're going to come back on to correcting problem behaviors in the future. 
we're going to stick on theory of mind today, otherwise <laughs> I'll end up ranting. <laughs> <laughs> um, can we run back to guilt? I think we sort of yeah. slipped over guilt a bit. Um, I just want to give an example that I think Tracy... Um, Tracy, Tracy Irons from AV, yeah. Australian Veterinary Behaviour Services, AV, AVBS. There's a video. I'm going to have to get it off her because it was really good. Uh, one of her um, training seminars I went to. So it was a video of uh, a trainer, an owner and a dog. And they were in a room and the trainer had a piece of meat. And she said, okay, to the owner, I'm going to put this on the floor and I want you to tell the dog, don't eat the piece of meat. And then I want you to walk out of the room. So she, the trainer puts the meat on the floor and says, tell your dog not to eat the meat. The owner goes, okay, don't eat the meat. Trainer then walks out of the room, closes the door. Sorry, the owner walks out of the room, closes the door. The trainer's still in there with the dog with the meat. So the trainer then grabs the meat off the floor, puts it behind her back and then says to the owner, oh, you can come back in. She ate the meat. So the owner comes back in and goes, you ate the meat, you naughty thing. And the dog cowers down and is like, oh, no. So, and then the trainer brings out the meat and goes, actually, I didn't, the dog didn't give the meat, uh, eat the meat. I actually took it. And it just goes to show that that dog's not guilty. It's actually reading your body language yeah. and how you've come in. Yeah. There's a, I love those things because there's another one as well. Um, Tracy, again, Tracy's a good, uh, been a good friend um, and mentor of mine for a couple of years now. And um, she showed me this video where uh, they get home. There's, I think there's multiple dogs. It's been a long time since I've watched the video. Multiple dogs in the house and a cat uh, roaming around. And there's a dog food on the floor. And they're looking over the dog and just going, did you do it? Was it you? I think it was you. And going on and on and on. And uh, the dog is essentially fiddling. And what we, what we can do as well is fiddle behaviors are the early onset of stress. Uh, fiddle behaviors are the dog communicating this is getting stressful. And these are the these are the things that I talked about earlier where the people misconstrue this for um, uh, guilt and things. So, you know, that looking away, the excessive blinking. Uh, we'll put up a few posters for everybody so that you can have a look at what fiddle behaviors actually look like and what we're looking for. Um, but we saw the dog fiddle. And meanwhile, the cat is milling around, rubbing up against the owner, rubbing up against the food. What is very clear is that cat has never been reprimanded in the same manner because cats fiddle in exactly the same way. Cat's just strutting around and the dog's going, oh my God, you've come home and staring at me and stressing me out and the cat's flaunting it and I don't understand. They've just assumed that it was that dog. They didn't even think that it might be the cat that just knocked the bag over or the other dogs. That, it, it was, was definitely the cat. It's always oh, the cat. Yeah, the cat's much more. <laughs> <laughs> there, well, I don't know enough about cat psychology to say that they're much more manipulative because they might not be, but I mean... Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So this this not having theory of mind it really does impact the the way we perceive and um, it should be affecting the way we handle problem behaviours more because we can say no we can correct but we shouldn't be holding them um, emotionally accountable uh, for what they're doing because they're only ever trying to put things right and um, you know uh, the other thing that this really does affect um and this is a big big topic again 
is our understanding of dominance in dogs. Because dominance. I know. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm not going, I am going to touch on this today, uh, but it is only a touch on it because we have, uh, we are going to talk about this in the future. We had a whole episode. We want, well, it's a very big topic. <laughs> but what, as a, almost, I guess it's like a teaser for next episode, this bit. So, yeah. If you can't understand and perceive others' emotions, you cannot have status in terms of inferior and superior, which rules out linear hierarchy, because that is all about status. Now, to dominate means to have power and influence over another. And it, to describe a dog's personality as being dominant is in this way is flawed it's inaccurate dominance exists in dogs it's called situational dominance but to describe a dog's personality as dominant would be flawed because what that whole definition means implies is that dogs are trying to influence others emotions dogs emotions are emotions they get then inevitably through cause and effect get affected by others actions but that was never their goal. That was never their um, target. They, they were trying to influence their own emotions. So they were acting to achieve positive outcomes for them, regardless of how it impacted anybody else. And uh, that's why describing a dog's personality as dominant and submissive on the other end of the scale is fundamentally flawed. The um, Let's take, for example, a... Uh, Oh, sorry, just, just backtrack a little bit. But rather than a linear hierarchy, they have a flexible hierarchy based around trying to achieve and maintain resources. Um, but again, we'll go into that in the next episode. But um, one of the arguments I often hear is where somebody will say, my dog can just, you know, it defer, or the other dogs defer to this dog all the time. It must be the dominant one. You know, it doesn't have to use force to, uh, to maintain uh, its dominance. It can just shoot them a look. Yeah, of course it can. Like, it's communicating how it feels. Uh, say, for example, you've got three dogs in a room. And it doesn't, two dogs are playing, and another dog's laying down. Could be a big dog, little dog, doesn't matter. When that dog in the corner has had enough of the amount of play in the room, which is inevitable, you can only be surrounded by it for so long, at some point, its comfort level is affected. And at which point, it can go from being the most happy-go-lucky dog. Like people go, oh, my dog's not communicating out of stress. It's a, it's a happy dog. Nobody lives on a purely happy timeline. That's, that's that'd be lovely. I wish, yeah. But it's not. <laughs> it's not reality. No. And we all stress in life is inevitable for every single individual on this planet, and we all get affected by that. And it's how we respond. So we've got two dogs playing in the living room and they're bouncing around and having a real good time as far as they're concerned. And they're playing together and they have no intention of pissing off old mate in the corner. Maybe he's a grumpy old dog. And the two that are playing have got no intention of influences, emotions in any way, shape or form. They're just having a good old time. But old mate in the corner is a bit of a grumpy old man and he shoots them a look. Maybe, maybe he stands up. Maybe he just puffs his chest out and uh, shoots them a look and the two all of a sudden stop playing that's enough okay we've learned the two have learned by consequences in the past that that look leads to negative consequences 
Yeah, and you probably haven't seen that look before. You know, it's probably in another situation where you haven't been in the room and that dog's shot them a look. They didn't stop. So the dog's gone over Mm -hmm. and then they're like, oh, okay. Reading the other dog's body language and knows that that consequence is going to be negative. That that dog that shoots them a look isn't trying to assert its dominance. No. Is what I'm getting at. Yeah. The dog that shoots them a look, its tolerance levels have been hit for that particular circumstance with these particular individuals in that particular room and in that particular situation. Um, it has now got a learned communication pattern with these individuals in that particular circumstance in that room with blah, blah, blah. It has got a learned communication pattern that resolves the stress and makes itself feel more comfortable. Like uh, it's, it, those dogs were essentially becoming a fly in the room that they want, that dog wanted to swat. Yeah. It's not because it wanted to be the boss. It's just had enough. And sure, the other two dogs might be puppies and, you know, we, there's, a, there's a stereotypical look of it, like oh, two puppies are playing and the older dog stepped in. It must be the dominant one. No. It's just, it's like, it's just hit its tolerance level. Because <laughs> say you've got a grumpy puppy. Yeah. It, I've seen grumpy puppies do exactly the same thing. It's not all of a sudden. It's not, oh, this one is so dominant from a young age. No, it's got a very young, a very low tolerance level from a young age. Yeah. It's just its own tolerance level. It's so simple when we think of it that way. The two dogs that were playing weren't trying to piss the other dog off. But the dog that got pissed off wasn't trying to influence that one's emotions either. Imagine a child running round and round and round in circles. You've asked it a couple of times to just, hey, slow down. Hey, slow down. And eventually, like, I'm actually, oh, this is stressing me out a bit. And you take it by the hand and you put a stop to it and go, mate, I've asked you to stop a couple of times. And do you, can, we, can we slow down a little bit? Are you doing it because you really want to assert yourself? Are you doing it over a child? Over a child, (laughs) or are you doing it because your own tolerance levels have been hit and reached, and you've now tried communicating softly? Yeah, um, but you've actually had to up it another level to the point where you've taken physical control. I mean, I've I've taken physical control of the situation by taking the child's hand. A really bad, extreme version of that would be shouting at the child. Yeah, and that would be the equivalent of dog aggression. But it's still not trying to be dominant it is hit its tolerance level and it's trying to feel better and this is where yes that child or that those two dogs emotions will be affected good or bad they will be affected by the other dog's actions but it goes back to that wasn't the dog's intention in the first place this goes back to that corrective method that corrective mindset of people so we've got not one, first of all, you know, the whole stubborn, spiteful, vindictive, that side of how theory of mind affects our language and our interpretation of their behavior and brings around a corrective mindset. Then on a much larger scale, or maybe more prominent scale, would be that the whole way it affects dominance and our understanding of it. If we understand that, then I feel that we'll start treating dogs a hell of a lot better. And that that's a whole... That's the whole point in this podcast is health. Yeah. And I think you said to me one too, which was a good example, is that we're already the dominant one. We're already giving them the food, giving them the shelter, giving them the comfort. So why do we need to be more dominant, pack leader, alpha? Oh, 100%. Like if, if you're walking around feeling the need... I mean, this is all next week, but if you're walking around feeling the need to have to consistently assert yourself over your dog, I feel like, one, you definitely don't understand dog behavior. So 
before you carry on doing that, read read a book on dog behavior and dog psychology that that isn't based on linear hierarchy because it's so outdated. Um, David Mech will um, tell you that. Yeah, next week. <laughs> it was 1970s. But at the same time, you know, you just that, I mean, look, if you're running around trying to correct your dog and dog's aggression, then, you know, you're looking for a quick fix and it's behavior and it's not appropriate. If you really are trying to dominate your dog when you already, like you said, control those resources, you control its food, where it sleeps, where it eats, when it goes for walks, you control every aspect of that dog's life. You're already the dominant one. Stop yeah. trying to win. Yeah. I think there's a really good example too of um, a video from um, a TV trainer. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, we should put it up actually of him trying to dominate the dog with the food bowl. Oh, yeah, yeah. The golden retriever. Yeah. And um, he is saying that he's trying to dominate the situation and make the dog submit to him. And the dog does eventually, well, not submit, but shuts down pretty much and just goes, oh, I don't Didn't know what to him. do. Yep. And then um, he goes, oh, the dog's submitted to me, grabs the bowl. The dog absolutely nails him. <laughs> he deserved that one. Um, I think it was like two hours or something. He, oh, an hour or something. He waited over the dog till it shut down. Yeah. Went into like learned helplessness. Yeah. 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 He's pretty famous idiot um <laughs> anyway guys like we are going to go into yeah, dominance we're gonna we have an whole episode snake. on that and <laughs> because that that in itself is a big can of worms um and it's a it is widely misunderstood the, the term has been misused and uh misunderstood for many many years so hence why we will be bringing that into its own context next week and uh yeah really going into more detail in that but um, I think everybody, if everybody just did themselves a little favor and had a, had a think about if your dog doesn't understand your emotions, and what does it mean? It means that they're only ever communicating how they feel. And the dog's brain is affected chemically by, oh, it's, it's chemically the same as ours, you know, same endorphins, same cortisol and all of that. And, um, but on a very basic level, the cognitive thinking ability of a one-year-old to 18-month-old child have a look at what they're actually saying because this is the key to building a relationship based on trust is listening to our dogs. And if we understand their minds and really go, all oh, right, that is what you're communicating. Our dogs are going to trust us more. We're going to set them up for a win more often. Uh, we'll take them into scenarios at their pace and we will start to really set everybody up for a future that is better for everybody involved and it goes back into that whole preventative care from from a puppy this is what we're teaching in puppy schools is hey listen to your dog look at it look what he's saying and we start setting up for a win all the time we start enjoying our relationship when we're not preempting stress and we start looking at going all right that's great thank you for letting me know how you feel let me make you more comfortable it's very interesting in puppy school when you start talking about this and people start realizing what their dog's actually saying. Mm -hmm. And it makes me happy that we're teaching people when their dog is that young because then throughout its life, they're going to understand more and more what their dog needs and what their dog is actually saying and how their dog feels. 
I imagine like from a young age, the dog is exposed to stress at a level that never floods it or that it can always cope with. Um, it always feels heard. We're building tolerance to stress. We're not wrapping them in cotton wool. We're introducing it to stress, but we're listening to it before it gets flooded. And the owner, the benefits of that, I mean, the dog doesn't get into uh, problem behaviors driven by stress, fear, anxiety, which means it is generally better behaved in a, in a more socially acceptable manner, which re in turn reduces the stress on the, on the owner. It, yeah. It's setting everybody up for a win. And even from week one to week five, seeing the relationship from, um, with the owner and the dog is so beautiful. Yeah. And oh, it just makes me so happy. <laughs> One of the, um, I'm going to, the man doesn't even know me, but I'm going to put his name out there because he deserves uh, a shout out. Um, if you ever want to watch a video on uh, anybody building a relationship with a dog, I love Lewis Nichols. Yeah, you introduced me to him. Well, not introduced me because we don't know him. <laughs> but, um, but his page, yeah. Yeah, the way he communicates with his dogs. Um, there's another one, Think Dog NZ. Them to work together on a, a little project, a big project, hopefully one day. But um, the way they train their dogs, I, I, lots of people train their dogs this way, and we do. But they've got fantastic video content yeah. of um, the way they train their dogs. And, you know, hopefully, uh, I'd love to have them in one day in the future. They don't know us. I'm yeah. just, just saying their name <laughs> randomly. <laughs> uh, I, I have reached out to her. She's fantastic. Yeah. Um, we shared one of their. Uh, videos a few weeks ago um we will create that content ourselves one day when when we've got the means to create the videos of train how to train but uh for now please go and check them out because fantastic trainers um that put all the things in really good context as well you know me and you are sat in this room we're just two individuals of a big community of people that really care and condone using um positive reinforcement to uh train dogs to, to teaching dogs on what we would like to them to do um and there's so many other great trainers out there that uh do a fantastic job as well and you know while we're here sitting recording a podcast those guys are out there filming videos and brilliant well done guys i love it like let's just let's just keep this community growing yeah exactly well i think that's it i think that <laughs> <laughs> well i think that's it um i think that's summed up everything about theory of mind so if you have any questions or um you would like more answers on this i can imagine that we'll be email us. questions on this but <laughs> instagram yeah. us facebook we, us we have the facebook community group oh yes please sign up and put, put your questions in there we don't condone abuse of any kind if somebody is commenting something negative that we disagree with we still do not condone it this is not a page of bullying but we want people to put their opinions, whether you agree with us or not, in a nice thought out manner to create a conversation around it because exactly. that is really important. Yeah. We want to create conversations. We don't want to get into fights nope. about this. You will be barred. Yeah. We will kick you out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. Uh, as Sophie said, leave your comments, uh, join the community. And remember, folks, a healthy dog's a happy dog. Woo! And that was the podcast.